Tonight's reading from the Old Testament is from the book of Hosea, chapter 2, verses 14 through 20, and that can be found on page 2 of your bulletin. This is Hosea, chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Accor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she carried out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer you will call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creepy things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's ask for God's help. We have a lot of needs. Uh, We need light of the mind um, because your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. You're far more compassionate than we would know. And uh, we need eyes of the heart because we come with lots of different hearts here. Uh, We come with um, tired hearts. We come with hopeful hearts. We come with skeptical hearts. We come with Uh, confident hearts. Lord, we come in lots of ways to you. But you are God, and you have bound yourself to things like your word. And so we have high confidence right now. And we pray uh, through your word we might see you. In Christ's name, amen. One of the reasons that I became a Christian and I remain a Christian, is because I found it to be the most personal of faiths. And by that, I don't mean personally meaningful to me. It is personally meaningful to me. But what I meant, it was the faith that most revealed God as a full person. You know, he wasn't a power of force. He wasn't just a judge. He wasn't just a creator. But he was a full person. He embodied that. Uh, in fact, in this, book, in this small book, we're, we're just tapping into the book of Hosea, uh, near a hundred times God refers to himself in the first person, I. And this is just standard through the Bible. And in this way, I find it to be an utterly unique faith, and, and then it just makes sense to me, like, how do we get you How do we get a room full of uh, unique thoughts and affections and imaginations and INTJs and ENFJs and twos and threes and eights, whatever you are? You know, how do you make sense of that? I, I only understand that all that personality can only come from a person. And again, in this faith, I find 
a person revealed. So no surprise when God decides to reveal himself most clearly, how would he do it? By a person. A person of his son. He would come in person. Jesus Christ. And wow, what, what a way to validate our humanity, huh? To validate who we are as people. There, there's no, there is no system of belief that validates the human person more than that. I don't care how high a view of you have God. But also gives us, helps us make sense of one another. So in the Bible, all the prophets... The small p, prophets, priests, and kings, were all pointing toward a big prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ. But in a similar way, all earthly friends, earthly mothers and fathers, earthly siblings, earthly spouses are pointing to a heavenly, capital F father, capital F friend, capital S, spouse. And this begins to get us categories for understanding the book of Hosea, where God calls himself a husband to his people and a betrayed spouse. And he needs to get the attention of his people because uh, Israel at this time has shifted their trust in faithfulness to another God. You heard it read, Baal. Now, Baal was uh, the weather god, the weather god of the Syria-Palestinian area at that time. And I think as modern people, we hear that and like, I, I just don't get that. No, I just, I, I don't quite connect to this idea that a weather god, how, how in the world is that like for real? And so we dismiss these folks as not being like us. Well, they're primitive, they're superstitious, but the human heart has always been the same. Always been the same. Let me, let me put it this way. Do you ever worry about your financial security? Do you ever worry about your job security? Do you ever worry about caring for aging parents? Do you ever worry about the health of your children? Do you ever worry, fill in the blank, a house, a home? You see, in this day, all of that was tied to one thing, the land. I mean, if you didn't have land, you didn't have any of that. Land was your livelihood. It was food on the table. It was your legacy, what you gave your kid. If you wanted to give your daughter away, you needed dowry, right? The land, the land, the land. And so you're sitting there, and you're going through a drought. But the neighboring nation is prospering. The crops are coming in. They're having festivals, and they credit it to a different God. And so it's not like you ditch your faith altogether. Maybe just one day as you're praying to the Lord, you... Whisper a prayer to another God. Because, I mean, it works. So, what works for you? Right? When God isn't working for you, what works for you? Maybe it's hard work. Maybe it's a daydream that you go back to, the hope of some relationship. Maybe it's your 401. I don't know what it is. But you see, we're not that different than these folks. But there was a dark side to this, right? Because 
when you choose to elevate something as a functional God that's not a God, something else begins to happen. You move into the dark side. And Baal worship had a dark side. Sexual exploitation and degradation of temple prostitutes, of the people that were involved, abuse of animals, self-harm, human sacrifice. And so, along with their faith, went justice. Along with their faith, went mercy. Along with their faith, went love. And again, our hearts are not so different, are they? I mean, what happens when you've got broken intimacy with God and other things jump in there to be your God? You find your integrity tempted, don't you? You find your character challenged. But even under all of that, there was something more tragic. At least God saw it this way. Worse than the false belief, worse than the injustice, was broken union, broken intimacy with the God that had made them. I... I have to confess to you, I don't think that much of my relationship with God. I mean, you know, I'll put it this way. God cares a lot more about our intimacy than I do. It's by the way I live. Like, he's always thinking about it. And so, he has to get Israel's attention And many times the only way God can get our attention is through suffering. And so the great superpower of Syria is going to sweep in and they're going to be brought low. And through God's word, they're going to hear a word of judgment. But that's not the final word that God wants them to hear. You heard it in the passage. The word that God wants them to hear is a wooing word. You know, to woo someone is to try to gain their love to try to persuade them toward love. And this is the word that we hear in Hosea. Now, we'll get to this in a second, why it's a unique thing with Hosea. But there's two ideas I just want us to grab onto in the time we have. As God woos us, because we're talking about spiritual practice this year, and we're talking about experiencing the word of God, as God woos us, we hear a tender word and we hear a trothful word. A tender word and a trothful word. So let's think about these two things together. Okay. Prepare to be wooed. These chatty fellows who can rhyme their way into a lady's good graces always reason themselves out again. Look, a talker is just a gabber. A poem is just a rhyme. A good leg will shrink, a straight back stoop, a black beard turn white, a curly head grow bald, an attractive face grow wrinkled, and a pretty eye hollow. But a good heart, Kate, is the sun and the moon, or rather the sun and not the moon, for it goes on shining brightly forever. If you would have such a man, take me. Take me and get a soldier. Take a soldier and get a king. So what do you say to my suit? Speak, my fair one, and speak fairly, I beg you. Anybody know what that's from? Henry V, Henry V, wooing Catherine. Rex, you should have, I should have had you do this. (laughs) Director and actor back there, why didn't I think, bring him up here? 
Because some of you were like, if that's wooing, that sounded a lot like just a guy from Pittsburgh kind of talking. You know, where was these chatty fellows? I can do more. I'm just not secure enough in Christ to do more before you that way. I saved that for my bride. So in that, you know, Henry is trying to woo his defeated enemy's daughter. And, uh, you know, and it's great when you read it, too. That's just like halfway through. He's working hard. Just like God works hard, he has to work hard to woo Israel, woo us. But imagine those words. You know, those are, those are fun words as we're standing before that, you know, pristine person that we want. But imagine that you're commanded to say those words to someone that's betrayed you and has left you with your children. Because that's the story in Hosea. To get Israel's attention, God uses the broken marriage of his prophet to communicate what it's like to be in relationship with them and his people. Hosea is married to Gomer. They have three kids, scholars not sure if all of them were his. And now she's left again. And this is what God says. Go show your love to your wife again though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Can you imagine how hard that is? Now, he says again, so this wasn't the first time. And he doesn't just say, go and say, come on, we're going home. He says, show your love. That means you've got to get into it. Demonstrate your love. I want you to woo this woman just like it's the first time you met her. And I want you to win her. What humility. What a challenge. This is what it's like to be Jesus. He goes to a low place. He keeps persistently coming to a people that are unfaithful. He gets slow, low to one that's unfaithful to him and says, I I love you. I want you. I want to persuade you of my heart. And why? Well, I gave it away. The Lord said, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. As I love these people, as they turn to other gods. And how does God love? Here we come to our passions. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. God speaks to an unfaithful people a tender and wooing word. A word that speaks of forgiveness, a word that speaks of reconciliation, a word that speaks of new beginnings. So the question before you and I is this, or rather the thought. It means that when we read God's word, his goal is not just to persuade us of our sin. It's not just to persuade us of our guilt. In fact, if you read the Bible and you only get that far, you haven't heard the word of God because his goal is to persuade you of his steadfast love, of his grace. That's what he's after. And so when you and I open this book up and we read and we come away and don't hear that, he hasn't won us over. And he's going to keep trying. He's going to keep doing. But don't give up the belief 
The, the saddest thing that can happen in a marriage, there's many sad things, but when either partner gives up on love. Have you given up on love with your relationship with God? Or just kind of like a, you know, just kind of like a, a general love, a lukewarm. Have you given, don't give up. Don't go away from your reading of the word of God and just go, well, today was, was just supposed to be kind of, you know, hey, did you take the garbage out? Did you get, did you get the mail? Did you do this? By the way, you said you were going to do this. Don't do that. Because we're told, why did the Son of God come, the groom of God's people, the bridegroom? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Let me put you in there, that he might sanctify you, having cleansed you with the washing of water, that he might present you to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might make you holy and without blemish in his sight. That is what he's after when you're with him in his word. But also, he woos us with a trothful word. Now, that's an old-timey word, trothful word. It means faithfulness and loyalty. You know, I, 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 I pledge my troth to you. The word we connect it right, betrothed. The closest thing we get is probably wedding vows. A pledge of love and faithfulness. The Lord says, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. You shall know me like a wife knows her husband. Now, of course, that speaks of the faithful love of the Lord. We just talked about that. But it's more than a declaration of the wooing love of God. It's a word of transformation. Because after all, he says, I will remove the names of the bales from their mouth and they shall be remembered by no more. What's the big deal about the names? Is God just like, you know, don't mention his name around me. Well, in the Bible, name always means character, person and identity. And he's saying, I have the power to remove, have any of you um, ever, ever seen the movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? Well, I can't really sum it up. But one of the things it does so well is talk about how badly we want to be over a broken heart. How badly. So if you haven't seen it, let that watch the film. But God is saying, I have the power to get you over that. Because what happens for you and I, we come to love these things that we rely on. We just do. And the tricky thing about them, some of them are good things. Your work is a good thing. You love it too much, it becomes a God. A relationship in your life, I don't care if it's someone you want to date or someone you're married to or your children. Great thing, good thing. You love them too much. It's bad. You know, we come to love these things And so as God is calling us to exchange them for his love, we go through a broken heart. I mean, it feels like I cannot give this up. This is like what I use to get through my bad days. This is my like little daydream. You know that, God. Or like I look the whole week where I go home and watch Ted Lasso and eat ice cream. I mean, don't take that away from me. It's the only positive thing in the world right now. 
I'm not saying he's going to do that. Right? But he has the power to transform. That's what he's saying here. And let me mention three things. Transform our desires. Now, this is something said elsewhere in the book. We didn't have time to do the book. But he says this. See if you can uh, imagine yourself... You're, you're Gomer, the wife, but the issue might not be a relationship, an affair, but it's something else that, that you love and you need, okay? For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me bread and my water and my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. I mean, that's, that's good. The Lord says, therefore, I will hedge, I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them. And she shall seek them but she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband for it was better for me than now. Now two things there. Frustration often leads to our redemption. God is blocking our goals so he can save us. Right? Can't get to it. Can't get to it. There are certain things in my life I have wanted badly. Some of them I've gotten. There's a couple that are still outstanding. But what I found, but I, God would give me the good sense to pray. Oh, I know some of this is not, not good. You know, big part of me. You're wondering like now. Well, I probably need to tell you because I've scared you half to death. Like, what is this? Pastor Glenn, um, you know, I grew up loving music, and my life, part of my life ambition was I want to have an impact. I mean, like a big impact as a musician. But over the years, I, I began to like say, it used to scare me, and so I would say, will you please shut, lock from your side the doors to my idols so I can't get in? And there have been plenty of times where, you know, I just kind of go, just a little visit. I'm not asking for. You know, other times I just the handle. Like, you know, it's like somebody that, other times it's, you know, other time it's like. But thankfully, God is stronger than our sin. Amen. He's doing that to you right now somewhere. It's because he's trying to save you and deliver you from a false lover. But also, he can weaken those things, as I said. The beauty of this is he can weaken the pull of those thoughts, and he will. But you can't, you don't get something from nothing. This is where we get wrong. This is where we mess up. The Bible is so wonderful to say, you just can't put off, you have to put on. You know, you just can't, like, say, I'm not going to do this. We're people of need, we're people of desire, we want, you were made to want. What's going to go in there? Something will go in there. It's got to be his wooing. It's got to be him. It's got to be his life. The communion. You know, he talks about bringing to the wilderness, and we read that, and we're like, that sounds creepy. Well, when he says, I will speak tenderly and bring her to the wilderness, he's going back to the honeymoon days when he had delivered Israel from Egypt. And before they got sort of cranky, and they trusted him, even though they were in the wilderness. 
They believed him and they loved him. He said, I'm going to take you back to those days. So one of the things God does as he begins to woo us is he reminds us. This is a good reason why if you write things down about your story, in God's story in your life, you can go back and see that. But either way, he can still remind you. He starts to remind you of those times together. So transforms our desires. More quickly, transforms our fear. If anything... I think has become evident through these last two years of pandemic is just how fearful we all are, right? And Christians are not excluded. I mean, I see is that one of the number one things, right, among Christians, fear, and it's really challenging. It's like, well, do I really believe, like, in life after death? Do I really believe that the Lord is even the Lord over COVID? You know, do I really, all these different things that we're fearful about. And really what it does, well, let's reason backward. The Bible says, perfect love casts out fear. So it sounds to me like it's a love problem. I don't think it's, you know, a lot of times we're so anxiety aware and so we often don't go deeper. We're often like, well, this is my issue's anxiety. My issue's fear. But I don't know if we get deep enough to go, no, my issue's love. I, I don't believe he loves me like that. I don't believe love is stronger than death. I don't believe he loves me so much that not a hair from my head can fall. I don't believe that he loves me so much that I'm always on his lips. But God can transform that. He makes reference to uh, the covenant of creation. I don't know if you saw these references in the text to the birds and the animals and a safe place to be. In Eden, right, there was harmony. And it's looking ahead to the new heavens and the new earth. But the thing is, he's saying, you don't have to wait just till heaven to feel that. He's saying, through me, you can have a sense of peace, of safety. Of being at harmony. Transform our fear. How is your husband helping you with your fear? How is Jesus Christ helping you with your fear? Lastly, he can transform our hope, our despair. Now, he mentions Valley of Acre, uh, translation Valley of Trouble. And those of you that are familiar with the Bible, you might remember the story of Achan in the book of Joshua. This is early on. They go into the promised land. Things are going well. But one guy decides to take a little on the side. And it becomes this big, big deal. And so Acre becomes an emblem of sin and death. And he says, into that valley of sin and death. And now we're getting into that area of you and I where we're very in touch with with our sin and our guilt. And we need to be, or you'll be an arrogant person. You know, if you and I are not in touch with that, we're, we're going to end up being a proud person. But look at what he says. I will build a door of hope. A door of hope in the place of sin and guilt. And that door, of course, was made... By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was Jesus when he rose that created a portal, a new door 
that led to life and hope. And so you and I, as we look through that door and through the eyes of faith, we can see where we're headed. It won't be long. It's not going to be long. Just like a bride is counting down the days to their wedding, right? Just as they're sitting, thinking about the days, counting down the time it will be before everybody comes together for the verse, the big feast and the parties together and they're joined together with their groom. It won't be long for any of us because you're here right now and time is going like that. Time is going very fast. Those of us that are aged can tell you that. But this isn't despairing. This is what the book of Revelation says. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And what does the husband say? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Finally, the consummation. No more waywardness, no more false desires. We see him as he is. He has claimed his bride. In the vision of Zechariah, where it shows God at the center of his people singing love songs over his people, wooing his people. It's no more by faith. It's only by sight. And along with that, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Your hope, your hope is tied to the love, the love of your bridegroom. Love is the only hope, my friends. It's the only hope you and I have. And we get little taste from it from our neighbor. We get little taste from it from one another. But love is the only hope. And that's exactly what God intends to, to do. And so, as, you, as your hope goes, so your love goes with him. Experiencing the Word of God takes us just out of the realm of this, and it moves us into here. It's always been God's. God's always been after our hearts, all the time. Let's pray that it will help us. We thank you. We're amazed that you are the great suitor You are the one that woos your people with words they cannot resist. And we pray we would hear those. Lord, there is another person in the picture, the evil one. And where you would speak love, he would speak condemnation. Where you would speak favor, he would speak accusation. Lord, but what groom is going to allow someone to drown out his voice to his bride? You will not. But Lord, would you let us hear you in Christ's name. Amen.